Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want to thank you folks who prayed for the PRBC meeting this week. It was in State College. I share with folks, I think I share with folks on Wednesday night, because uh, I just got back then. It was such a blessing. Um, Pastor Drew Fenstermacher is a dear brother in the Lord and has been at that church for 33, 34 years. Um, in fact, that was where, many of you know that uh, for a long time I served and some of a, our ladies served as hotliners for the Action Line for Life, which was part of the Pennsylvania Association, or pe- part of Pennsylvania Baptist for Life, uh, which was actually founded by the previous pastor at, because there was a, a Planned Parenthood open an abortion clinic in State College. The pastor there, Pastor Randy Gomer, I think it was, um, at Faith Baptist uh wanted to respond to that, and we started, they started Pennsylvania Baptist for Life for many years. And praise the Lord, we had a hotline, and God used that ministry to save many uh, children from abortion, Uh, but sadly that ministry is not around. The blessing of the conference, so many blessings, uh, but one of the biggest ones is I think that that church, uh, Faith Baptist Church and State College, is the best Baptist church in Pennsylvania acoustically. The singing in that church was phenomenal. In fact, one of our pastor's wives videotaped a group of men, there was maybe eight or nine men, that sang a song that was, oh, it just gave me goosebumps. And if I can, I'm going to post that this week on our Facebook page. So if you see a, a video pop up, not a professional quality video, but I think you can get the, the, the music was just out of this world. All right, we're in Philippians chapter 3. We are concluding a three-part series on imputation. Uh, imputation as a doctrine is so very important. The word imputation is found in our English Bibles many, many times. In fact, the word impute uh, and imputation occurs in the King James Bible 42 times. The, the actual, the... the the Greek word in the New Testament, rather. Um, and here's how it's translated. Because not every time you see the word impute, or one of the other translations of this Greek word, is it necessarily communicating the doctrine of imputation. So 42 times the word legizomai, that's the word that's translated impute in the Greek New Testament. Ten times it's translated think. So sometimes in the context... It'll just say think, and that's all it means. There's no doctrine of imputation in there. Uh, Fourteen times it's translated with the word impute. Nine times it's translated accounted or counted, uh, reckoned, uh, or suppose eight times to charge once, to conclude once, esteem or esteemeth once, laid once, numbered once, reasoned once. So it's just a term that is translated, it's a term which simply means to reckon or to count something, to think something. But when it comes to the doctrine of imputation, it is so very important. And the context is usually what will determine whether or not we're talking about the threefold doctrine of imputation. And you may remember, the first message was, Adam's sin was imputed to us. 
Remember Romans 5, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam's sin was laid to our account. Then when Jesus Christ came and died on Calvary, our sin was imputed to him. He, uh, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was the spotless Lamb of God that paid for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Don't forget that. Jesus Christ did not know any sin. He was always the perfect sinless Lamb of God. But our sin was charged to his account. So that he suffered. You want to say unjustly? Absolutely. You know, we would talk about, oh, how unjust this world is. You want to talk about injustice? You look at what happened to Jesus Christ because of us. Praise God for that, that he was willing to do that. And because he did that, because he paid the penalty for our sins, now comes the glorious third aspect of imputation where his righteousness is laid to our account. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The um, justification by faith. In fact, in that text we looked at Romans chapter 4. Very clearly, Paul, and in chapter 5, Paul connects the doctrine of justification to the idea of Christ's imputed righteousness. We'll talk about what that means But I want you to look, because though the word impute is not found in Philippians chapter 3, the doctrine is so clearly laid out. Just like Paul, in Romans chapters 1 through 5, lays out the doctrine of of justification by faith. Chapters 5 and 6, there's a parenthesis while he answers two questions. And then in chapter 8 and following, he lays out the results of justification. But here, he gives his own personal testimony, and it screams imputation. There's so many things we learn about this. So look at Philippians chapter 3. Let me just read through it, and we'll just jump right in. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul begins by sharing what his confidence was. And no doubt about it, he was boasting. Now, he's, this is past tense. He's giving you what his life was like before and what he counted on. Now, remember, this morning I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, <clears throat> For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God, Not of works, lest what? Any man should boast. Anyone that believes they are justified by their works is boasting. And the very concept that you can earn your salvation is going to result in you having to plead your case before God. That was my mentality. I remember when I got to heaven, I was going to start thinking about my good deeds. I did this, I did that, I did that. 
And, you know, I'm going to just sit there listening. And when you talk to someone who is unfamiliar with the gospel, and you ask them, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And they say, well, I hope so. And then you say, why do you think you go to heaven? They will immediately begin to list their better qualities. Right? Well, I'm, you know, I provide for my family. I go to church, whether they do, you know, if they do. And, and they begin to boast of their good deeds. Well, that's what Paul did. Paul was no different. He was your typical Jewish religious Pharisee who prided himself in being a Pharisee. And so Paul... Let's hear you toot your own horn. How did you used to view yourself? And here he shares it. He says, you know, uh, if there's other, anyone else that thinks that they have confidence in the flesh, uh, I more. I, you know, he, <laughs> he took this, this was a, a, you know, I can outrighteous you as far as your good deeds. And now in verse 5 he begins this, and, and he probably repeated this so many times, if not out loud, clearly in his mind. And by the way, remember the Pharisee and the publican that were in the temple praying? You remember what the Pharisee was doing? I thank you that I'm not like that publican. And then what did he do? I fast twice a day. I give tithes. He began to boast. Because that's what you do when you're trusting in your good deeds. You hope you've had enough good deeds to get you in favor with God. So here's what he would say. Circumcise the eighth day. That was a very, that was a sticking point with the Jews as a Pharisee. Uh, the law very clearly articulated when a, a child, a Jewish child needed to be circumcised. And that was the first feather in his cap, which really wasn't his doing, was it? It was more his parents. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And the Jews prided themselves in their heritage. And Hebrew of the Hebrews. He is he's blowing his own horn. You know how the Bible says in Proverbs, let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. He was violating this because that's what religious people do when they're trusting in their good deeds. Touching the law... A Pharisee. It's like he's saying, you want to know my relationship to the law? I was a Pharisee. Say no more. I mean, that says it right there. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And even as he was in the midst of persecuting the church, that was a feather in his cap. Touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Now remember the Pharisees focused on the outside of the cup. Remember that? And that was Jesus' biggest condemnation. So Paul is telling you what he used to, the trumpet he would blow. He now understands. In fact, he's the one that just expounded or in Romans that the law came that, uh, you know, that I might see myself as exceeding sinful. But before that, just like when Jesus said, remember the lawyer that came up to him and said, Master, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments, which ones? Remember that? 
It's the same idea. So when Paul said touching the law blameless, he was thinking of the external aspects of it, not the heart. Now I want you to look at verse 7. But. But. Now remember, he's contrasting now. Everything that Paul gloried in, everything that Paul trusted in, everything that Paul prided himself in, is now, he's about ready to do a 180. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me. That's everything he just listed. Uh, Circumcised the eighth day. Uh, the tribe of, the, of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, that's all that stuff. They were gained to him. And again, you look at someone that is trusting their works, their baptism certificate, their, it's all their deeds. That's what Paul did. But, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now here is the beautiful doctrine of imputation. Imputation says that, and Paul brought this out, we just read this again in Romans chapter 4. It is imputed, in fact, go back to Romans 4 real quickly. I want you to look at this here. Just what we read, Romans chapter 4. Verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Romans 4.3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now look at verse 4. Listen to the reasoning. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now there's some people that will try to say that faith is a work. It is not. It is being contrasted here. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace through faith, but of debt. In other words, if you're going to be acceptable in God's eyes, then you've got to start having some credit. Uh, you've got, you know, I use this thing in our, with my wife and now with my son-in-laws, that whenever my son-in-laws do something good to their wives, my daughters, we will say, oh, you're scoring points. you know. And I, I try to score points with my wife. If I do something good that she likes, she'll say, oh, you're scoring points. Now, as a husband, that's what I'm trying to do. But when it comes to God, scoring points is not the way God tallies things. But it's the way many people tally things. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. Remember, what is grace? God giving us something good that we don't deserve. But the very nature of works, him that worketh, is there being rewarded. So it's not of grace. They're the opposite. But rather, it is reckoned but of debt. You owe it because you earned it. Look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth, on him, notice the beauty of verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the what? Un, 
godly. Folks, this is imputation in all its glory. Imputation is Christ's righteousness. Christ fulfilled the law like nobody else could. By His very life, He lived in obedience to the Father. He's the only one that could say, I do always those things that please my Father. But both omission and commission, Jesus Christ was the only one that fulfilled the righteousness of the law. And now, because of what He did on Calvary, that righteousness is reckoned to people that are not worthy of it. Notice what he says again. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. It does not say, to him that makes the ungodly godly. No, we're still ungodly. He is justifying. Remember the word justify, what it means to legally declare something righteous. It is a forensic judicial term. And that's exactly what happens. And it is nothing but that. You and I don't become righteous. We are still ungodly. But this is what faith does. Faith justifies the ungodly. It takes someone who's ungodly and says, you are now legally declared righteous. So folks, we are still 100% ungodly. But now, we stand having the righteousness of Christ. Now, notice, let's go back to Philippians chapter, chapter 3. Because Paul is given the picture that his plan, like so many others, his plan was to come to God fully loaded. You know, mine was too, and so many are. I remember boasting that I was an altar boy. Did you know that? Of course you knew that. You hear me talking about that. And all the other things. I was a Boy Scout. Didn't make it past second class, but I was still a Boy Scout. And I, you know, all these things I remember counting my righteousness. And I was thinking, I was planning on going to heaven loaded. Paul was too. And he told you what he was, what he was going to boast in. These are the things that he was counting on. I'm a good guy. But something changed. Look at verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul just emptied his hands. Paul was coming to the throne, planning on coming to God, Fully loaded, look at all I've done, as so many are planning on doing. And then he came face to face with the Savior. And he realized that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He realized that all his good deeds would never be enough to make an ungodly sinner godly. Maybe a cleaned up version, still a sinner. And so now, He is coming empty-handed. He unloaded all that stuff, and now he's coming to Christ unloaded, empty-handed. And verse 9, he says that I may win Christ, verse 9, and be found in Him. Listen to this. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Folks, that is imputation. He is not saying, because of what Christ did, I am now made holy internally. No. He says, now I have nothing and I am simply clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what imputation is. It is a a precious doctrine. And it is so important. Let me share with you some scriptures that Paul uh, clearly um, gives us, articulates very clearly the way in which this righteousness comes to sinners. And it's imputed righteousness. Please keep that in mind. It is imputed righteousness. In fact, let me read to you a statement here about that. By the righteousness of Christ, Paul means Christ's legal status or the merit acquired by all that he did in satisfying the demands of God's law, including what has been called his active and passive obedience. So literally, we're talking about his righteousness, his perfection is now laid to our account. Isn't that amazing? So, number one, justification is absolutely free and unmerited as far as the sinner is concerned. Listen to these verses. Romans 3.24 Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.15 But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And then Galatians 5, 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. What a sad thing. And then Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, that, that being justified by grace... By His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And, and I just mentioned, I want to remind you, Romans 4, 5. The object of the one who becomes righteous is the ungodly. The believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. And then finally, listen, I want to just give you a few verses. This has become a discussion in our Bible study uh, and some issues that have come up over the years Uh, And it is so important that you and I understand the distinction between faith and works. You and I are saved not by our works. Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.28 Therefore, we conclude... That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Sounds like I'm repeating myself. These So many scriptures, some more. Galatians 3.11 But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. 
for the just shall live by faith. And then Galatians 5.4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And now look at verse 9 of our text in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. There was an article uh, some time back, actually, by a theologian, not of our ilk, can I say. His name was Carlo Brassard, and he had an article called Righteous or uh, Reckoned. And he talks about the Council of Trent. Have you ever heard of the Council of Trent? It was in the 1500s. It's actually been called, uh, it was the beginning of what's called the Counter-Reformation. Because the Catholic Church was responding to the Reformation where so many people were now reading their Bibles and realizing that, you know, sola scriptura, sola fide, only faith, uh, you know, that this was the battle cry. And so they had a, uh, a gathering of, I, th- I believe it was approximately about 40 Roman Catholic theologians, and they actually had several sessions And during the sixth, in fact, let me read to you from this article by uh, Carlo Broussard. He said, the Council of Trent taught that through baptism, believers are made innocent, immaculate, pure, harmless, and beloved of God. The catechism of the Catholic Church concurs. Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Now, you might not notice what's wrong with that statement. But what they do is they, they merge justification and sanctification. And he goes on. In fact, he says, sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you get saved, or in this case, they're talking about baptism. They're saying that what it does is it makes you holy, so then you become worthy of heaven. Listen to uh, a decree. This was the sixth session of the Council of Trent. And the council, during that sixth session in the 1500s, issued this decree, and I quote from the Council of Trent, If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increase before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof. Let him be anathema. You realize what he said? Let me read it again. If anyone saith that the justice received, he's talking about justification, the doctrine of justification, is not preserved and also increased before God, through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification. Excuse me, that's what we preach. That's what the Bible teaches. And what happens? He says, let him be anathema. Now, I have have seen so clearly that there is a mixture that people will give mental assent to justification by faith alone, but then... They will add works. Our works. He goes on. 
says, Protestants argue that the Bible contradicts this idea of interior renewal. No, we don't. We deny that justification is the interior renewal. See, it's so clear in the Scriptures, and this is Paul's point. Salvation is by faith alone. And if you and I, in fact, remember, it is not of debt. Then it's works. Then it's owed to us. But it is clearly a gift of grace that we don't deserve. Then he goes on, quoting from Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, When Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul then says in verse 5, And to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. For Protestants, these verses show that rather than God infusing righteousness into a person's soul, making it righteous, God merely reckons a person's righteousness as a judge might legally declare the accused guilty. Yeah, that sounds right. Actually, God doesn't merely reckon a person righteous. He literally imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. Folks, when you and I stand before God, there will be no religious activity, no baptism certificate, no uh, good deed, no communion certificate, or anything that, that a church could do that is going to gain us acceptance with God We come empty-handed because it is only the works of Jesus Christ. I hope tonight that you have been justified by faith. Martin Luther called it alien righteousness, which is a good term because he understood, and that articulated so clearly. It's just what Paul's saying here in Philippians 3.9. And being found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Folks, the day I got saved, I realized that all the things that I were trusting in, just like Paul, all those things weren't going to help me. In fact, they were hindering me. From coming empty-handed. I thought I could accomplish my own righteousness. What did Paul say in Romans 11 and verse 6? And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So very clearly, the doctrine of justification by faith is a precious Precious doctrine. Whereas you and I, who are being pursued by the law, because the law condemns, we are guilty. Folks, all this I want to share with you. I, I just read this not too long ago. This, this amazes me. Um, this happened in August. So last month, August 4th. There was a car chase in Los Angeles. A California motorist... Um, had a prolonged car chase. Uh, police, Los Angeles, in fact, let me just share, I'm, I'm looking at the article here. Los Angeles TV station KTLA covered the August 4th chase with the he- help of the hel- station's helicopter. 
So whatever this guy did, he's running from the law, and the police are chasing him. And a helicopter's chasing him. And as they go through downtown L.A., then the LAPD officials took over the chase. The guy was driving a white Kia. After the driver began running red lights, the officers realized this is becoming a danger to the public. And so they backed off. But what's funny is, the guy still thought he was being chased, I guess because of the helicopter, and it's apparently all on video. And so he finally, he's just, you know, he's continuing this chase, pulls into a shopping mall, pulls over, gets out of the car with his hands up, and lays on the ground, ready for them to handcuff him. And he's sitting there, minute after minute after minute, and there's no police coming around. And after a while, he's like, he just gets up and walks away, you know, because the, the, the chase had ended, uh, and he didn't realize it. Now, can you imagine that? Now, I, I've been thinking about that because, you know, the law pursues us because you and I are sinners. But I want to tell you something, folks. The, the pursuit has been called off because Jesus Christ has taken our place. What an amazing thing. You see, when God looks at us now that we are justified, He doesn't see our sin. And, and by the way, folks, we are still sinners. We are still sinners saved by grace. But he now, and this was Paul's point of Philippians 3. He doesn't see our sin. If you're saved, you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's the only way you and I are going to escape the judgment of God. It is imputed. And just like when our sin was put on Christ, he didn't go to the cross a filthy sinner. Folks, he went to the cross 100% the spotless Lamb of God. He did not, he did not, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. But our sin was reckoned to his account. He didn't become sin in the sense of becoming a sinner. Now, here you and I are. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Inwardly, folks, we are still sinners. It is still an imputed righteousness. And it is ours. But all that other stuff that Paul trusted in, that we trust in, we count it but dung, that we may win Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight as we consider the precious doctrine of justification by faith and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And Father, I pray that you would... I think it's so clear in our minds the distinction between works and faith. Father, I pray that you would save the lost, that you'd open the eyes of those that are trusting in their good deeds, trusting in their righteousness, maybe trusting in their religion or the religious works. Father, I pray that today sinners would come to the cross empty-handed, only trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.